My name is Aaron McManus, and you were listening to the Batter Ready Podcast. Okay, I have a question. All right. I, ha- I was having coffee with a friend, and they recommended John Mark Kumar's podcast. Uh, he, has a, he has a couple of them, but one of them was this, Fight, Hustle, and Hurry. And he has a book called The, Relu- Ruth- the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Which I vehemently disagree with the like just the title, but I think it's also a really smart title because it's something to disagree with. You agree or disagree? But you also grew up with a compulsive worker. Yes, but <laughs> you know we fought about this for the last nine minutes on the previous take of this podcast. That it's not ever going to see the light of day. I offended you badly, apparently. But this is what I'm saying. You traveled a lot growing up, yes. but you also like created a lot of space to bring us with you and a lot of fun, right? I hope so. But I also, I would have seen you as a really hard worker who hustled a lot, mm-hmm. but also took a lot of, like, like uh, I never saw you as someone who, like, took a Sabbath or took, like, rest days. Like, your rest days were like, let's go hang out and do something fun. Yes, that's true. But it seems like there's this kind of uprising of a, a culture that is, like, very, like, traditional Old Testament, but it feels like a misinterpretation of the Old Testament a little bit. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we were talking about earlier is just, and I think it's important, like your cultural memory of me growing up is I was always on the plane. Now I was on a plane a lot. But I don't have any negative, I don't have any negative like feelings towards that. You got offended because I said you traveled 48 weeks a year. You obviously, and I was going, and you know what? I, I go back and go, maybe I did travel 48 weeks a year. And, uh, but, but some of those were like in and out in one day. And I remember going to Thailand yes, I, in three days. <laughs> yes, because like a year ago, I banned red eyes. Because like I, I only I was, flew red eyes for because you would fly years. You would fly red eye there. Yeah, spend twenty like not even twenty four hours, twelve hours, and fly red eye home. Yeah, and I was like, you're gonna die on a plane if you don't sleep. I did. I probably if there were extremes, if there's an extreme of hustle and extreme of of Sabbath, rest, whatever. I guess I went to the extreme of hustle. Although I would say this, a lot of the Christian interpretation of Sabbath is a real, I think, misunderstanding of the scriptures. All they're really doing is applying the same understanding of the Hebrews uh, into the Christian world. And so that you take one day a week, whether it's Sunday, and really if you're a pastor, if you work at a church, Sunday isn't a day of rest, it's a day of work. No, it really isn't, no. And and so a lot of people think, okay, well, aren't you supposed to take Saturday as a day of Sabbath? And what the book of Hebrews teaches in chapter four is that uh, when Jesus came, he shifted, our understanding of the Sabbath, the Sabbath isn't a day. The Sabbath is a relationship, that Jesus is our Sabbath, that uh, the, the driving force of the, of the Sabbath was to drive us to Jesus. And, and I think a lot of times you go, oh, no, we need a Sabbath day. And I'm going, well, that's a structure. And that actually doesn't give you the rest you need. The rest you need is actually in a relationship. And so for me, my Sabbath was intimacy with Jesus and a relationship with him, and that and the freedom from living a life out of, of obligation, but living a life of intention. And could I have done better on the other end of s- sleeping more? Absolutely. I probably, I probably missed, you know, 30 years of sleep. <laughs> you, know? you gained and 30 years of life, probably. I did. And I was, I was one of those people that, you know, I can sleep when I die, you know? You, and you still are, man. You still, I'm like, if you don't <laughs> yeah. sleep, you will die. And I have to like show you like LeBron James says 18 hours of 12 hours of sleep a day is good. Yeah, but I feel like the pendulum is really swung in some kind of odd way where 
um, generationally, I hear people talking about, you know, well, I don't really want to go back to work. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not that interested in, in reengaging the marketplace. People are taking unemployment. Um, people who can have jobs actually are taking unemployment. People are choosing to take unemployment rather than take a job that was offered to them. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that maybe we're confusing inertia with rest. And you're not resting just because you're not doing anything. And, and I think that we're going to end up with a generation that feels really anxious and stressed and, uh, and, and has a lack of meaning and purpose in their life because they uh, have, quote, chosen to rest rather than chosen to have intention and meaning. I would say that this, though, you know, and, and I am sorry for offending you on our <laughs> previous version of this podcast because, like, you, I think when I say that you were gone a lot, it like it it hurts you because I think you were because this because you were obviously so intentional about being around a lot, but it was like uh, you were like a firefighter. Yes, you were true. like gone for two days, and it was two days I was in school. I wasn't there wasn't like missing mass amounts of father son time. <laughs> I grew up with a dad. I already knew I was lucky. You know what I mean? I, like you were the, I was one of the few friends that actually had a dad. Yeah, like, like who or whose dad was actually living in the same household as their mom. Like mm -hmm. I understood how rare that was growing up. But also you were like the most present person even when you're gone. You were always called. You always checked in. There was always like a, there was no FaceTime. You know, true. we there, laugh now. Being there like, are no cell phones. We would have always been traveling. <laughs> like, I think I, I look in context now because, you know, Mariah, Jake, mom, me and you, we all travel, but we all have different places we travel to. Yes. Ours overlap more, probably the most now because we're the most intentional about it. Mariah and Jake are going off and on tour, whether together or separately. Mm -hmm. Mom's in Africa or, you know, Southeast Asia constantly. And then me and you kind of hit the big cities. <laughs> but, you know, I was like going back because I, I think it'd be great to have a conversation with, with John Mark Comeric because actually I've listened to him a lot over the last eight years or mm -hmm. six or seven years. One of my friends in New York sent him to me a while ago before anyone knew about Bridgetown. Um, and I really think he's really intelligent. I remember I sent him to you, I think, being like, hey, this guy actually like it's really unique. He, he great communicator, just kind and, and intelligent and always bringing in research and data and kind of these these sure. studies, which is really, I think, more your vein mm -hmm. of, of type of, you know, intellectual conversations. But, you know, when, when someone showed me the book, I, I just can't get into the idea. And maybe that's why I need to read the book and why it would be great to talk to him about it. But I the ruthless elimination of hurry. I get what it's saying. Stop living a hurried life. Live a present life. But my thing is, like, can you also be present and hurry at the same time? Or maybe is our hurry and hustle the same thing? Like, you know, can you actually right. have a lot of hustle right. and eliminate hurry? And, right. And can you be a person who isn't drowning in hurry, who does have a lot of hustle? Because the podcast name is Fight. I'm getting, this is an advertisement. Yeah. This is not trash talk. This is us just challenging the idea of it. Well, we, well advertise it so I people am. can go listen to I, it. I enjoyed <laughs> the episode. Yeah. I just also disagree with some of the concepts. Yeah. Fight, hustle, and hurry. Like Hustle more. Maybe hurry less because hurry feels frantic. Hurry does feel frantic. But I would, but I would say, don't fight hustle. You need to have some hustle, and, and or or maybe, and this is the thing I've had to accept over the years is that um, I have a lot more drive than most people. You have only and, drive, and I I feel a deep sense of urgency to do something that matters in the world. I I'm compelled to create, and. I would be miserable yeah. if I wasn't. And not everyone's 
designed the same way. So maybe it's about finding the right rhythm and the right um, velocity for your life. Right. You know, but, but does one have to be right and one have to be wrong? Like I've accepted, I accepted a long time ago that, that most people I know move much slower and they have far less a sense of urgency. They don't feel this drive to get up and uh, make a difference in the world or to create something significant. And I, and I don't see them as bad people. I just see that that's just who they are. And that's, um, that's just the rhythm of their life. There's a reason why people move to Idaho or to Iowa. There's a reason why people live in Portland as opposed to LA. There's a reason why people choose New York or Paris or London. Yes. And I think cities oftentimes match the pace of that person's internal structure. Sometimes I think inside of me, I'm, I'm a Boise, Idaho guy. <laughs> <laughs> like when we went to Jackson Hole last year, uh, the band was recording and and I was driving. Like I just couldn't. I have a thing I can't sleep when I'm visiting places. I just like mm -hmm. wake up mad early. And I was up before the sun, and I was like making a fire in the in like the the fireplace because I just love the sound. And it was it went from being like I was literally wearing shorts one day to then it being like twenty degrees, ten degrees <laughs> outside, snowing and. Mm -hmm. I was driving the the car and it was just the sun was rising and I was seeing all these horses and I like cried. I was like, this is the most beautiful thing. How do we have healthy boundaries in our life when it in regards to work? Because there, you know, this year I think there's been a huge ebb and flow of like I feel really inspired, really exhausted. I feel like I have a lot of hustle in me. I feel like I have nothing in the tank. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about yeah. like a friend that you visited and you talked about this a bit, like when you think people are on full in their life, like so inspired, so yeah. filled with work, so filled with family, filled with like new things, but they're really like running on empty. How do you gauge that in your own life? And how do you create like a healthy system or structures? Because I, I get like what John Mark and the, those guys are doing. Like they're trying to help a young generation that is like addicted to scrolling, addicted to working, addicted to like achieving, go like, hey, look, it is actually important for your entirety to like have been present during the process. Yeah, I, I think that there's a difference between, because you put them in the same sentence, being addicted to scrolling and social media and, um, and then being addicted to hustle. Right. See, I, I think that the internet, the social media, that that creates a perception of hustle. But okay. there's no hustle there. That's, that's just hurry. That's just it's um, a fake chaos. hustle. Yeah, it's a fake hustle. You feel like you're doing something. You feel like you're engaging the world. You feel like you're making a difference, and you're not. And I, that feels to me frantic. And this is where I think probably if if me and John Mark had a conversation, we would both agree that um, there's way too much focus on being frantic, too much on on um, almost being stimulated. Yeah. And if you need a Sabbath every week to detach yourself so that you're not addicted to stimulation, man, I think that's really important. And I will say this, it's like one of the things that I need and I have to fight for is I usually need about one to three hours every day where I'm not talking to anyone, I'm not looking at a text or an email or a phone call, and I don't oftentimes give myself permission for that. Yeah. And, and I find myself sometimes feeling anxious going, Wow, if I turn my phone off, and every, every time I do turn my phone off, somebody gets freaked out. I mean, every oh, time, I, I, every yeah. time. Yeah, there's always family conversations when you when you go when you go off the grid, and and then I'll turn my phone on, and I'm like, I get blasted with 20 calls. Are you okay? What's going on? And I'm going. I cannot 
not have a conversation for two hours or for one hour or for three hours. And I, all I ask is that you send to the family group chat like a little ghost emoji. And, uh, <laughs> With like, hey, I'm going ghost. So I do feel like those, I feel like harpoons are all, you know, just shot into my chest and there's ropes attached and people are pulling at me all the time. And I'm, a, I'm like a great white fighting to get back into the ocean. And, uh, and so I totally would say that I, I completely understand the pull of hurry, the pull of this frantic life, the pull of always being needed, the pull of something important always needing to be done. Uh, and at the same time, I, I think it's, 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 you know, that old, that old metaphor, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, what does that mean? That means that the baby's important. You throw away the bathwater, but you keep the baby. Now, throw out hurry, throw out being frantic, throw out being overstimulated. But do not throw out hustle, right? Because like hustle is the baby. Like yeah, yeah, anyone yeah. who makes a difference in the world really does have a drive. They have right. a deep sense of ambition. They want to make a difference in the world. They have almost a little bit of madness in them because they 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 can't go to sleep unless they do something that matters. And and you know, I mean, I found ways to mitigate that in my own life uh, when I would travel to different cities. Other people want to rest for a day. Other people want to just take a day and chill. My way of resting was walking for 10 to 20 miles and walking on all the streets of that city and experiencing the culture and texture and the aromas, the food, the sounds of the city. That was refreshing to me. Now, I know walking those 10 to 20 miles for someone else would be exhausting, but for me, it was invigorating. It was life-giving. I think you have to figure out how are you designed? What gives you that energy? Um, I'm I'm refreshed if I get to go play basketball, which I haven't done in almost a year. Crazy. I was uh, just thinking about that. I'm refreshed when I get to go compete. I'm, uh, you know, and, and so when I'm tired, I'd rather go play a game of chess or go play a game of ping pong or play a game of basketball or paddle tennis, whatever it is, because it actually refreshes me. And, and I think you have to kind of know the way you're designed. Right. And, but, but again, and I don't know if we picked this up, but the whole idea of rest I think is sometimes misunderstood by, by uh, people of faith, by Christians. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, it clearly tells us that the rest that our souls are searching for are not a day, but a person, that Jesus is the rest. And so the moment we start trying to take on the, uh, the Jewish Sabbath and say, oh, no, we need to have a Sabbath just like the Jewish people did. Right. You go, no, no, see, the Sabbath was there to drive us to the rest that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. Mm. I think sometimes we miss that. You can take a day off a week, but if you don't learn how to rest in Jesus, you're still going to be exhausted the next day. It's so true, right? And I, mm -hmm. I, I like, I value, this is the thing. I, what I, the thing I really enjoyed about the podcast was it was just different. Mm -hmm. It was different. And, and to me, because, you know, if I have a Saturday off, mm -hmm. like I want to sit down in my computer and do research and, design and and work on the next week and like actually start to restructure things that I'm going to build into the next time or the next the next season or all the different projects that we're working on like if I have a break like I we talk about all the time we're like when we have a break we're building the next thing mm -hmm. and maybe that's like an addictive personality but I also think it's like it is this like need of going we, we're we are created to create and I want to create and creating is where I find rest and and you know shipping isn't where I find rest you know tracking down, you know, product design and patterns. And that's not where I find rest. Mm -hmm. 
but I do find rest in like the, the birthing of the idea. Yeah, I, I think maybe the question becomes, was Picasso working or resting when he was painting? Okay. And the answer I think is yes. Right. That when you're doing what you're created to do in the most beautiful and elegant of ways, you are both working and resting. Okay. And, um, and when you're in that creative mode, you, you actually are both working and resting because your body is being restored. You're being re-energized and yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. being recreated yeah. in the process. And yeah. I think that's an important part of it is realize what, what takes your energy and what gives you energy, you know, what, what costs you and what actually in a sense invests and builds into you. And I think that's, what's really, really important is to make sure that you're not just putting out, but you're also taking in and, uh, and, but we, we actually were having this conversation because um, Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, Pete Buttigieg. Has taken, Buttigieg. Buttigieg. And, uh, and, and what's his uh, official title? Oh, United States Secretary of Transportation. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'll get. United States Secretary of Transportation. And so he's taken the past few months uh, with a paternity leave. Interesting. And which um, we were all like saying here in a conversation, we have a lot of moms who are talking to us. Um, we're all for leave. Yes. You know, and, and paternity leave. Maternity leave and paternity. paternity leave. Now I have to realize I did not grow up with paternity leave. Paternity I, leave is is is, is dad dad's. leave. Yeah. See, I grew up only with maternity leave. See, I grew up with only the woman being given time off for work. I never was given one second of paternity leave. I was expected to work uh, basically, even while you were being given birth. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so you had to take unpaid time off to be a dad. Right. And, but what's ironic so is- How do you feel about the concept? Um, I love the fact that as a dad, I could take a little bit of time to be with my son or my daughter when they're born. Right. I think that's actually really, really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And what's ironic is that when Kim had maternity leave, when she gave birth to you, the place that she worked- called her the day you were born and asked her to come back to work because they weren't prepared for her to leave. And she didn't tell me and she was going back to work that day. And yes. How? What was she going to do with me? She was taking you with her. What? You're one day old. No. And no wonder. I called. No wonder. It's like literally in my body. And uh, I called that place and I said, um, you will never call my wife again. And they said, well, wait a minute. What if we have questions about her job transition said she was pregnant for nearly 10 months. You had plenty of time to transition. If you fail to transition, that's not my concern. My wife's concern. That's your concern. And secondly, if there's a life changing question, you can call me and I'll decide if it's important enough to tell my wife. And so it was one of the few times where I just like jumped in and said, um, not on my watch. You are not going to, because Kim is so responsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so loyal that she was going to go back and help him. And you know for sure she was calling them when you left. <laughs> and, but <laughs> she has no. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. All, I'm for maternity leave, but she, it was not maternity leave. She quit. <laughs> so do you, how do you feel about elected <laughs> officials or appointed officials? Because he wasn't elected. He was, he was appointed. Right. Appointed officials taking paternity leave. See, this is where I have maybe um, a different issue. Okay. Is that I think there are certain roles and responsibilities in life mm. where you abdicate the same privileges um, that other people have. 
it's it, so it's the question isn't whether paternity leave would is you, right you, or wrong. Okay. The question is, is it right for someone in an appointed office that has responsibilities for the for the uh, the welfare of a nation to take essentially two months off? And and my and my feeling is that, or my sense is, I don't want I don't I don't have a feeling about this. Um, you know, my perspective on this is that um, it's perfectly right to have a child or have twins. I don't right. have any problem with them having, you know, uh, uh, the joy of having children. But the problem I have is that if you take a certain role, you have to take with it the certain responsibilities. You cannot become president of the United States. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. If you become president of the United States, if you're a woman, and you have a baby, you can't take two months off from being president of the United States uh, in maternity leave. I'm just going to say that. I don't know if that sounds controversial or not. If you're if you're a man and Is your wife has a baby, I don't think you should be able to take two months off for for paternity leave. Uh, leave and um, well, that would be like. To, uh, what do you think, Brooke? You're a mom. I don't think it's controversial. Or do I you mean, think it's right or wrong? I think right or wrong is is tough to phrase it like that. No, no, like that's a dichotomy. Two options to give you. You're talking about this is 2021. There's only two sides. I agree with with Pastor Irwin that it feels irresponsible, but like Aaron Wheats, he's taking two weeks. I know. So Aaron Wheats is. And taking, we thought he was crazy. We're like, what, why are you taking more? <laughs> we thought he should take more, and but he's only taking two weeks, and he's on our team here at Mosaic. He's taking less time than Pete is taking when he has a role for the economic welfare of our entire nation. With 100 cargo ships off the L.A. port. Yeah, and it's almost as if all these crises with the, the cargo ships and import-export with our economy, they're... they're I, can't, I can't get soap right now. Did I tell you this? Yeah, I, I went to go buy you soap because you're like, hey, this yeah. is soap I like. Can you go buy me some soap? I was like, going to go that way anyways. I, no, I wasn't going that way. I was going out of my way to go get you soap. And I was like, I'll give myself soap while I get you soap. And I go in, I was like, hey... Uh, they're like, what are you looking for? I'm like, oh, this hand soap. Oh, we don't have any. I was like, oh, I'll buy it online. He goes, no, we, we don't have any. And I'm like, no, no, I'll just buy it online. No, he's like, no, our, our company's out. <laughs> he's like, it's sitting in a container yeah. on the coast. And I'm like, are you, and this is a huge, it is Aesop. Yeah. It's not a, that's a huge brand, especially yeah. in LA, at least LA, New York. Like Aesop. I want you to sponsor me. Free this episode is called Free Aesop. <laughs> Free Aesop. All right, so so let's just take this to another situation. Brooke, turn your microphone up just a little bit so I can hear you. Okay. And um, if we're at war, and you're the general or the major, or you know, because maybe maybe it's a, a major who's who's implementing the strategy of the general, or a colonel who's implementing the, the strategic advance of a general. And then his wife has a baby, and so he just taps out, and he goes on maternity leave for two or three months. See, does that make any sense to you? That would be a hard pass. <laughs> and that's see, a no, right? <laughs> that's a no. That's a no. And so I, so because I, I think we try to make things one too emotional, and I think some of them are just need to be seen through the filter of responsibility. There are certain jobs that you take, certain responsibilities that you take on that that you inherently relinquish either privileges or benefits. And, and I, I see that even for myself. I mean, I, you know, I've been here at the Pastor Mosaic for years. And, you know, one of the small things for me was that- For years, like you mean decades. For, yeah, for decades. I, and I wanted a motorcycle from probably my earliest memory. 
And I went to buy a motorcycle when Kim and I were uh, first married, and she did not want me to have a motorcycle, so we fought over this. And I and I finally broke her down. I went yeah. to buy the motorcycle. And by the time I got there, the guy sold it to someone else who offered him more money. Okay. So I came, I, I came home without the motorcycle, and Kim said, this is a sign from God that you're not supposed to have a motorcycle. So that cost me the next decade. And then I <laughs> ended up becoming the pastor here in Los Angeles and founding, you know, Mosaic. And parents would come up to me and say, please do not ever ride a motorcycle because our, our kids want to be just like you. And if you ride a motorcycle, our kids are going to ride a motorcycle and one of them is going to get hurt or killed. And that's going to be on you. I'm not laughing. Uh, it is and, also funny. And on top of that, we had friends where that happened, where their no, son so uh, yeah. died in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. And so I made a decision. There's nothing morally wrong with riding a motorcycle, nothing ethically wrong, nothing biblically wrong. I made a decision based on the responsibility I chose to take to give up certain privileges and certain benefits of in life, because that would have been a, a benefit in my life. I would have enjoyed it immensely. And But you make choices. Leadership is about abdicating your own personal rights and freedoms for the good of the whole. And I think that's a question you have to ask going forward in terms of governance. I don't want a governor who decides I'm going to take a few months off because I had a baby. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm really old school, but I'm just going to draw the line there and say, if you're going to take on an elected position or, or even an appointed position where you're given responsibility on a global level, because our national economy affects the global economy, your engagement has global ramifications on billions of people. Yes, I think you have to consider whether it's um, a right or a privilege that you don't take to the fullest extent. I think the name of this episode is going to be called Daddy Daycare or Free Aesop. Free Aesop? <laughs> yes. Um, Aesop's fable. Aesop's fable. So here, here's, the thing, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So, you know, when we were doing Ven we were doing Mosaic in Venice. Mm -hmm. We were in a school and we were, the school was, the principal of the school was phenomenal. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And it was kind of like a God thing. Like it was just really like a miracle that we got into that school. And it was on Abbot Kinney. Absolutely stunning. We have such a great relationship with them. Um, even after the fact, since COVID and all these things. But I, we, they gave us, uh, the room that they rented out was kind of like a, I mean, it was a middle school. So it was a cafeteria slash like their theater. Mm -hmm. But it really wasn't a theater. It was just like a cafeteria with a little stage. But it was horrific inside. It was mm -hmm. absolutely disgusting. We had to spend, you know, an, two hours every Sunday morning just trying to make it prettier. Right. We, I remember the first weekend we got in, we spent an entire Saturday, like eight hours, just scrubbing, scrubbing, like the, the vent, scrubbing the top of the air conditioning units uh, that were like the, the big pipes were kind of in the, um, the ducts were in exposed in the room and they had like uh, pieces of lint that were probably the size of like half my body, mm. like, like just build up of dirt. That had, and I'm like, these kids are here every day. And it wasn't like a knock on the principal. It was going, bringing that in. It was like the principal had no funds. Yeah. No ability. They're trying the best they could. They were cleaning the best they could. Right. And so we were like, look, we're in this with you. We're going to help garden your garden. We're going to help. We're not here for Sundays. We're here for, to, for the relationship. And it got to a point where they, they had given us um, such a great, we had just become such good friends that we were like, look, we want to help renovate this this theater mm -hmm. and make it amazing, make it beautiful. Like, what if Mosaic could just influence this school to just have such an impact on on the street and the city? Um, 
And we couldn't get it done because the elected official was, uh, was on leave. Given it was a medical leave, so like we, we definitely were, were, were praying for the person. We, were, you know, we weren't complaining, but we were like, this is, this is insane that to get to even paint the room, we had to go through LAUSD and, that, and then it had to go to the, the contractor that they use. And, and I'm fine with it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't love the unions, but like, fine. Mm-hmm. We'll do it your way. But I could have done it in an afternoon. And I would we would have paid for it. Yeah. I tried to renovate the bathrooms. I tried to renovate like renovate the teachers' lounge. I tried to renovate the floors in the building, and it was all stopped for an entire year and a half because this one person was out of for, for medical leave. Given, I hope he's fine. He, she, mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was a male or a female. Um, but it was so we were distraught. Mm-hmm. Like these kids, we're gonna actually make a change for these kids. We're gonna like make their school more beautiful, but we literally cannot. Given it was to our advantage as well, we wanted to make our space more beautiful, but we could not do it because the elected officials were not around. There was no one to replace them. There was not like, hey, my responsibility is now this person's. He can make the decisions for a year, mm-hmm. but we could not get it passed and get it through. And it was so frustrating to us. And so I, I do, I hear you. I, I'm, I don't understand paternity leave, and I think it's kind of like, um, I don't know how legit it is. I think it's amazing to see your your child grow up. I think that's so important. I know you were able to be around so much, um, especially in those years. But at the same time, like I was on the phone with my friends who's a dad last night. He FaceTimed me. I was with you watching the game. And he FaceTimed me and I was like, where are you? He's like, I'm in a grocery store. Whenever my wife needs something, I volunteer. And I'm like, why is that? He's like, because I don't want a screaming baby. I don't want to watch the game with a screaming baby in the background. Like this is this is when he's going to sleep like, I'm good. Like, I'm going to, I love my child. I love my wife. I love my sanity. I want to go to the grocery store. And he's just walking through the aisles, <laughs> talking to me <laughs> for 20 minutes. <clears throat> so I do think, I think this, I think, I agree with you if you're elected or appointed or if you're, well, okay, let's ask this question. Okay. Where you're a pastor. I am. Does it, do you have to, are are you in the same category of like you can't because I think there'd be a lot of workaholic pastors in the world with kids who go like my dad always chose church over me yeah and we could say that 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 spiritual health mental health often results in a, in a physical health right yeah that we've seen people kill themselves people die sure. people overdose people like the church is is just a human place mm-hmm. you know where all walks of life are colliding. And so there's tons of brokenness and moments of just disaster and sadness. Mm-hmm. How, how have you been able to filter that out in your own life? Going, I want to build something great. I want to influence people. And how did you prioritize family? Like, how did you keep us healthy as well? Yeah, one of the uh, most controversial moments in my life was being in Korea and speaking at a conference and talking about, uh, well, you were with me. I wasn't in Korea. I've never been in Korea. Oh, you've never been in Korea? I think it was Mariah. Was it Mariah? I, maybe. Oh, it was Mariah. I was in college. Yeah. Yeah. And they were shocked that I brought my daughter with me. And I talked to them about how their first job is to be a great husband and to be a great father. You and and probably did not go over that did not well. go over well. Yeah. And they were taking three months of quote prayer retreats where the entire staff was required to go away and not see their wives and children for months. Yeah. And that was considered spiritual. And I just spoke right. into that. And, um, 
And it, I was surprised I was ever invited back. But I, I can tell you how many um, people, not just young people, people not just in their 20s and 30s, but even some in their 40s who said that they, they've never gotten over the blunt force trauma of their fathers being pastors and never seeing them ever. And I talked to one young pastor who said he'd seen his father tw twice the year before and both of them by appointment. And so there's a compulsive nature, not just in the church, but in the business world. And I would always tell businessmen, don't use your career as an excuse to avoid your wife and kids just because you don't want to be a father and a husband. Hmm. And I think the reality is that if a person actually doesn't want to be a, a husband and a father, they'll use something as an excuse, right. whether it's work or whether it's church. And the, the truth is, regardless of what I got right and what I got wrong, what I know is I always wanted to be with you guys. Like, right. I, like you were my favorite people, Yeah, you, you know, and if I could leverage any situation to get you guys on a plane with me or to get you with me, I would do it. In, in fact, and you took us like you were the only person who did that. No, no other then. pastors ever did it. I had pastors around the world tell me when they watched me come in with you, it changed their entire life philosophy. Like, I think the first trip you took me on, well, was it Japan? Was it Tokyo? It was or was Japan. it El Salvador? No. Um, I think you I took might, it to El Salvador first, like a few months before. Yeah, and then I took it to Japan. And and you yeah. and Japan was a work trip. Yeah, you it was. Were, I mean, like we did a lot of fun stuff, but yeah. like you were speaking. Yeah, and it, I think people thought it was so bizarre. They, they, it was, and it, what's so great is within years, whenever I traveled somewhere, they would have an extra chair in the room because they knew I'd be bringing you. Yeah, or bringing Mariah. Yeah. or and um, and that was one of the things that I thought was so important was one. I didn't feel obligated to be your dad. I felt privileged to be your dad. Hmm. And I just wanted you and Mariah to be my best friends forever. Yeah. You know, and uh, if anything, I probably should have traveled more with your mom, <laughs> you know, me and your mom. But we, we kind of decided not to try to be in the same plane at the same time. So if something yeah. happened, you guys would always have one parent. Yeah. So we yeah. made a decision early on that as much as possible, we would not be on the same plane unless you and Mariah were also on the plane with us. Yeah. Then so it was we, all we all died together. Then then we all died together. But Wait, there was a moment actually, <laughs> like not long ago, we were flying to go see Kevin Liu in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. We were on a we were, like the plane was awesome. We were on a plane. Me and Mariah were sitting next to each other. Me and Mariah were in a crazy fight. Actually, <laughs> I don't even remember what it was about, but we were not good. Like so not good. I wasn't gonna go. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mariah needs a trip more than me. I'm gonna stay back. And you're like, No, you like you're supposed to speak. Like you yeah. can't bail. You could, but like that doesn't make sense. Like yeah. you just go figure it out. And the one thing I love about turbulence is it heals relationships. <laughs> I mean, this plane was. That's right. You guys were not even talking. We were not talking. And then you're sitting next to each other on for this plane. 10 hours. <laughs> and I remember her saying, being like, thank God we have room. So I don't have to sit like, I'm sitting next to you, but I don't have to talk to you. And I was like, geez, okay, this is going to be a long night. And, you know, we both put, you know, you know, it's bad. Like, when you just put their Bose headphones on, like the, the noise cancellation, which means like yep. I'm canceling you, your voice. <laughs> I don't want it. And maybe like two hours in or three hours in, just the plane is shaking. Like mm -hmm. this thing is dropping. This thing is going, moving. And she just grabs my hand. And in that moment, the Lord touched me. I knew it. I knew it. I was like, I, 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 I didn't win, but like it, it was fixed. Yes. And the trip was amazing. 
And it took like that moment. She's like, I'm sorry. I love you. And I was like, yes, I'll take the apology. And yes, I didn't know you loved me. And I was, you know, and it was just one of those. I was like, we're going to die. And then there was that moment. I was like, this is really not good for Mosaic. If we're all on the same plane, all four of us, if we all die, it's bad. We were fine. We were fine. And, uh, but that's what I, I would say, that especially pastors, um, never put your church above your family. No. You know, and, and, and but that's more on the emotional, relational weight yeah. of it. You have to be present for your kids and you have to have emotional energy for them. Yeah. You have to have, uh, you have to actually have interest in your family. Right. And your wife and your kids or your husband, and your kids. And, yeah. And that's, and the one thing about church and people don't realize is it is that it's an all consuming space. There is never a moment where you're done. There's never a moment where people feel like, oh, he's finally been there for me. Right. And I, I, I can think of a couple of real quick moments. I had this one guy who had, I think he has four sons. And he met with me late one night because uh, he, it was like an urgent meeting. He had to meet with me. This was early on. You were still pretty young, maybe second grade, third grade. And he came to meet me and tell me um, how he was disappointed in me because he thought we would be best friends. I didn't know this guy. He was just one of the people in the church. Oh. And um, is he still around? No, uh, they're not. They don't go anymore. But they did for quite a few years after okay. that. Um, and he just started telling me how you know I need to spend more time with him. I needed to be his friend. You know, I need to be his mentor. And I looked at him. And I said, you know, every single day, I go to bed knowing I disappointed someone. Right. And I said, I'm here with you right now, listening to you tell me everything I'm doing wrong while my son's performing at his school. Um, and so today I get to disappoint my son because um, you just couldn't stop complaining. And, you, and, and I told him, I said, I'm never going to meet with you again. Yeah. But I want you to understand that you're a dad with four boys and you don't have everyone demanding your time. And, and, I, and it was a pretty intense conversation. And actually, he told me afterwards, he felt, it, he finally realized how, how parasitic people are taught to be in the church. Yeah. And he stayed, they stayed for probably another 15 years. It was yeah. only when we moved, you know, to yeah, Hollywood yeah. that they didn't come. And they were great. They were so supportive and, and in every way. Yeah. But it's it just a moment. It's a moment. It's because he realized, yeah. oh, he's putting his kids first and i'm not used to a pastor who does that yeah and and that was just the reality of life it, it is interesting though right because when you like i felt well one i don't think yeah mm -hmm. I, I i do I, I feel this a lot like well one i want to say this because i think this is a very different version than the first podcast that we recorded like i want to say this i you were around so much and i am very grateful but you were <laughs> but you also brought me around so much. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were doing nothing with me, you know. No, I was. You working. were. You were always bringing me into cool spaces where, like, it was. I was very much not in. I was out of my depth. But it was. But it felt like you felt the energy of like, of of greatness and brilliance and and this kind of hustle or this. Like I remember you you bring me to like a boardroom at Disney and mm -hmm. and when I I remember you pulled me out of the the zoo. And you were like, look, man, when I take you to field trips, you're probably going to go to roll with me to, to meetings afterwards. I was like, oh, I like when dad takes me to field trips. Like, this is great. <laughs> and, and I got to, I hung with interns. And then I got to sit on the corner of like a, a boardroom meeting and just listen. At the end, you were like, do you have questions mm -hmm. to me? You know, me and you on the drive home. And I was like, I have all these questions. 
And so I grew up being in publisher meetings. I grew up being in, and and then there were rooms that you like did not let me in, you know? And so, and, and so it helped me kind of understand that one, it wasn't like I had all access, but it was like, when you could expose me to really cool things, you would. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you really kept me, I think, from the heavier things that were like not constructive, right. like those conversations you're talking about. But, you know, I think that if anything, you taught me like a healthy balance of, of hustle. Mm-hmm. But you also taught me how, you also taught me how to have the, the, the hard conversations quickly. Yeah. Like when anyone's like, hey, we need to meet. I'm like, well, you just got my attention for five minutes. So what do we need to meet about? Let's do it right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I hate <laughs> no subject emails. Yeah. If you don't put a subject in, I'm not opening that. <laughs> you don't. You text me with like, I want to meet. Let's do this. If you don't tell me what we're meeting about, you ain't. I'm not. You're gonna. You're gonna be. Good luck. You're gonna. You're gonna have a harder time finding me than you did uh, Tupac on the island. Well, I, I mean, I think part of what we're really talking about today is how do you find the right intersection between making sure you rest and get restored and renewed and, yes. and not giving up hustle and drive and ambition. And I think also and, like, a, like a healthy relationship between like uh, achieving greatness and bringing the people that, that, that uh, you care about with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and it was a tension for me because I can say that I was 100% in multiple directions. Yes. Like I, I 100% committed to Kim and our marriage. Absolutely. And 100% committed to you and Mariah. But I was 100% committed to Jesus and taking his message to the world. Yeah. And I was 100% committed to the church. And, and you know, so I, I think, think those a lot 100% of, actually start pulling you. <laughs> right. But I also, no, I don't know, though, because I feel like, well, they do if you don't, if you see it a certain way. I think yeah. you always, I think people think that, that, that uh, bringing Jesus to the world is a solo mission. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you not. you brought a lot of fun to it. And you yes. brought a lot of family to it. Mm-hmm. And you changed. I think you look at it now and you see you see all these really influential guys mm-hmm. who are such family people. Yeah. Maybe their dads weren't, but they are. And I think a lot of it has to do with you and a few other key people that really brought your families around and made it like a thing that people talk about. Yeah, I feel like if I have one small legacy is I've had endless number of pastors come to me and businessmen. Yeah. And tell me. I changed my mind on how to be a husband and father because of you. Right. And I decided that I would, I would make sure I do life with my family. Yeah. And I still make an impact. And, and I, think, I think this is one of the reasons I really like working with a lot of high-octane uh, entrepreneurs because basically I am an entrepreneur and, and I've always been pretty much a venture capitalist and I'm driven to create, driven to create. And I see a lot of these guys, sometimes they're out of control. And so they do lose their marriages and they do lose their kids yeah. and they do lose their lives. And, and I know that I'm, I'm never going to convince them to give up the hustle. Right. And so I have to teach them how to have the hustle without the hurry, how, yeah. how to yeah. have the hustle without yeah. the, the frantic nature of, um, of that drive. And, and I think it, it takes someone with a lot of drive to coach someone with a lot of drive. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, you're not, yeah, that, I always find that interesting when we, we talk with people who are consultants. Yeah. Like, you're, like you're, it's easy to be chill for you because you're wired that way. Yeah, you're wired chill. So like, it, you it resonate like so well with like guys who are like type A, like eights on the, on the, the Enneagram who are, and they're just driven, they're wildly driven. Like we were sat in a conversation, we talked about this in the last podcast. Yeah. Like you sat with John being like, I care about work. You would never let us be on unemployment because yeah. You know, if we weren't in one job, we'd be in the next job. And 
we talk about it, I'm like, please give me like one, at least only let me have two jobs, not four jobs. You know, we talk about <laughs> that. But I, 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 you know, I don't know, to wrap this up, I, 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 one, I say, I think you've been a great example of, of how to manage hustle and hurry. But I also do think that the elimination of it eliminates, I think it's, 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 it comes down to being hungry, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so I talk about it, right? Like, is it the, is the re- re- ruthless elimination of hustle also the elimination of hunger? Yeah, I think it's keeping it right. The, the ruthless elimination of hurry, which I think is actually John Mark Comer's title, right? Right. And, and just making sure that as you eliminate hurry, you don't eliminate hunger yeah. and hustle. Okay. That, um, and as, as you find the right way of finding rest and to find a way to be re-energized and renewed, you also realize that that, that energy has to be um, directed somewhere. And because you can't actually receive energy if you're not putting it out. Yeah. And so if you're not driven to accomplish anything, you're actually not going to have capacity to receive much energy anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, the, I think, the great danger is when you're actually slowing down to stop. Mm. And, you, and you realize, wow, I've become lethargic. And that's one of the things I keep hearing from people. Um, people are letting me know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't have any motivation anymore. And so be careful not to lose your motivation. Yeah. Uh, don't lose your momentum. Don't lose, lose your, your ambition. Ambition is a good thing. Wake up with hunger and with a drive to do something that matters in the world. And then don't do it for your esteem. Don't do it because you feel like you have to, to be loved or to be valuable. Right. It's, I think that you end up burning out because you're doing important things even for the wrong reasons. And make sure that you're doing for the right reasons. And the great rest is Jesus already loves you completely. The right. great rest is you don't have to do anything to earn his love for you. Right. I mean, the great rest is that um, you're not God. <laughs> And, uh, and so you can't fix all the problems in the world. Right. And you have to learn how to enjoy life as well. And I think that's one of the things that was um, so big for us was we worked hard, but we also played hard. We worked hard, but we also learned how to laugh and enjoy great food and enjoy great places. And I always was also really driven to show you beautiful things, to, show, to give you uh, unforgettable experiences, to go and finding great food and finding uh, great places and meeting interesting people because life is too precious to miss out on the astonishing, the extraordinary all around us. So true. Yeah. I think that maybe that's, that's the thing. I, I used to tell myself this in New York when I lived there, like, it, you know, growing up in LA, like so much of LA is like flat, right? Like you single story to four story, you, you go from neighborhood to neighborhood, suburb to suburb. Um, there's downtown, of course, but, you know, New York is, Manhattan is downtown. Manhattan is yeah. the skyscrapers. And I remember just walking through going, like, I hope I never forget to look up. Because mm-hmm. looking up was so inspiring. Like, you mm-hmm. were able to look up at the top of these buildings or look up into, you know, in the West Village and these trees or, you know, look up, you know, on the on the water, on the, the Hudson River, the, the East River. And, and there was always this kind of this reminder to, like, look up at the things that were around you and mm-hmm. not just look straight ahead. I think sometimes we can become so uh, direction-oriented and achievement-oriented that we forget that like who we bring along with us is maybe one of the more important things. And actually going, looking back, and you always tell me this, you're like, hey, when things are bad, remember. When things are good, remember. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the next level, you get to the next place, you get to the next goal, 
you can look back and go like, I had fun. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't all suck. Like there was an awful day and we did this and we did something simple. And I make one of my good, good friends when he makes a huge sale, like when he sells and he makes a huge sale to take a photo of himself and to send it to me. And then when he fails really, really bad <laughs> to take a photo and send it to me. And when he, when he sends me a bad photo, I always send him the good photo. He sends me the good photo, I send him the bad photo. And I'm like, it's kind of this yin and yang of going like, is being, even when you didn't make the sale, you still were giving it the best you had. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You still were achieving excellence. You just, they didn't choose you this time. Yeah. And so I was like, just trying to teach him and teach myself. It was like such a good reminder of like, in a relationship of, of you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Like we were watching baseball. All of the baseball stats are based off of failure. Yeah. Right? Like these guys, they're not even above 50%. No, they fail most of the time and they're pros. (laughs) They fail seven out of 10 times. The great ones. Yeah. You know, like you can be on a baseball team and still only hit one, a ball one every, once out of every 10 times. Mm -hmm. You know, like a point hundred, like what is it? A batting rate. Like I don't even know. What is it called? I don't know. Batting average. Batting average. I don't know baseball. I just like watching it. Yeah. You know, like, so it's, it's an interesting thing. I think we, we have to base our ability to be hungry and to hustle on, 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 but I don't know. That's a great metaphor. What? See, the reason is it like you, you can, you can have a one, what, 98 batting average and still p- be a pro. There was a guy 136 yesterday. It's because um, batting, hitting a pitch going 100 miles an hour is hard. So hard. So, so if you're playing T ball, yeah. All right. And the ball is just stacked on top of that little rubber pipe. Yeah. You should probably be batting a thousand percent. Right. You should. Right. You, know, you may not always get on base, but you should probably be able to hit the yeah. ball every single time. Yeah. See, I think a lot of us would rather be batting a thousand playing T-ball than batting 198 playing um, real ball, professional ball. And life is like that. There's some people who would rather be low risk and look like they're high success rather than be high risk and look like they're low success, but actually making a huge difference and taking the game to a whole different level. And we were laughing because we were watching the Dodgers game and Max Scherzer, who's probably one of the greatest pitchers mm-hmm. ever. I mean, debatable, right? That's mm-hmm. what they say. Yeah. He, he was at bat. Like, he hasn't, hit, he hasn't gone to base. <laughs> like 80, 90 pitches or something. Like he hasn't gone to base in so long. They were giving us the timeline. Mm-hmm. And he gets up there and he still swings. And I'm like, you're one of the greatest pitchers. And you can't get on base. Like you, how confident do you have to be? You know, if you base his pitching, if he based, like, if he based his self confidence when he's pitching on his batting ability, he would never be able to strike anyone out. Right. And if you based his value on that, he would never get to pitch. Right. And and I think this is a part of the challenge, even when we're talking about this whole idea of, because uh, I know I sound so old school. I'm just going to accept it. Like, self care is important. Yes. But when I hear only conversations about self-care, I'm like, no, no, not only is self-care important, self-development's important. You need to not only make sure that you're healthy, but you need to make sure that you keep increasing your capacity to take on more, to deal with more stress, to deal with more conflict, to deal with more crisis. And, you know, and, and the reality is that the great danger right now is the focus is like, you just need to make sure you're okay. Right. And I'm going, yes, you need to make sure you're okay, but that's not the goal. Right. That's not the end game. Right. You know, and because surviving isn't the goal. It's mm. thriving. Right. That's the goal. Yeah. And and I feel like that's 
that's where maybe we're underestimating the fact that humans are designed for hustle. Mm. The humans that survived are the ones who hustled. You know, there and and I man, I'm just I'm going so old school because it's uh, not you, old school. You can't you you didn't you wouldn't no. survive the dinosaur. You're not going to survive the tiger. You're yeah. not going to survive the jungle if you don't have some hustle. And I don't think hustle makes us unhealthy. I think hustle makes us healthy. And that's I, I what I want to throw out as a as a maybe a way of processing this. Does your hustle make you unhealthy? Or does your hustle make you healthy? Healthy. Mm. The problem isn't that you have hustle. Maybe it's the wrong hustle. You need to find the hustle that makes you healthy mm. and then go at it. And with that, we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you so much for having hey, this conversation. This is so much fun. I love you, bud. Yeah, so something we're, we've been doing is our book club. Uh, this is the second week. Um, we're doing them Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. And then we're going to release them as well. So we're doing it on Zoom. We had a couple hundred people break down the first chapter of The Genius of Jesus. And this is the thing. like Read at your own pace. Finish the book if you want, but we're going to have really interesting conversations about it. You're jumping on it with me tonight, I think, or, or you're jumping on it with me again, right? Uh, I am. Now, last time you told me I was going to jump on for a few minutes, I was there the whole hour. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> so hey, you're so, the guy. You're the guy. I and just, so, so tonight I will jump on with you, but remember, it's your Bible study. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. It's not my Bible study. It's not my Bible study. Okay. It's not a Bible study. It's, it's a book, book club. club. Yeah. That's not, right. Sorry. Different. It's different. A, yeah. It's a book club. You didn't write the Bible. You wrote the book. That's true. That's true. That's true. I wrote The Genius of Jesus, and I hope you guys are reading it. And when Aaron said you don't have to finish it, I would like to retract that statement and say, yes, no, you I said, need to finish no, the book. <laughs> no, I didn't say you don't have to finish it. I said you can finish it on your own time if you want. Oh, okay. I was saying you, we're not doing it chapter by chapter. Sure. We're kind of just like jumping in and pulling out segments and yeah. quotes that we like and topics. So, yeah. Okay. Love you. Thanks for having this book. Oh, hey, thank you. Thank you for reading it. Okay, rate and review this podcast. Check it out on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. You, you're on YouTube. Comment. Give us a thumbs up if you're on iTunes. Rate and review this. If you listen to it wherever you go, I want your reviews to review it. Goodbye. <laughs>